What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Pro GK Podcast. My name is Omar Zini. Uh, as you guys have probably noticed, I haven't released a podcast on here for three to four months. Uh, a lot of new moving pieces in my life, so I haven't had the time to sit down and edit one yet. But my goal now to the end of the year is to be releasing one every single Wednesday. So you guys know every Wednesday you guys wake up, you guys will have a new podcast from me. And I still have a few interviews from the quarantine time. So in this episode, you guys are going to be hearing one of my favorite goalkeeping content creators, Connor O'Keefe. If you guys don't know who he is, go to his social media on Instagram or YouTube and just type in Connor O'Keefe, Connor with one N. And you guys can see and follow along on his journey to be a professional goalkeeper, which he currently is. And in this podcast, we talk about so much stuff, guys. You know, him learning new techniques in Spain, why he started his channel, and at the end, what he wants his legacy to be when all is said and done with his channel. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. Again, if you guys like it, please, please leave a review. I know it gets tiresome asking for those, but it definitely helps the channel and it helps the uh, podcast be seen by more viewers and more listeners. So again, guys, please enjoy the episode with Connor O'Keefe. And until next time, my name is Omar Zini. Talk to you guys soon. Connor, what's up, man? Hello, mate. How are you? Good. It's been, uh, what, a week now since I've seen you? I know, I know. It's been quite short. <laughs> it's like working, so we'll get rid of them. But no, yeah, it's good to it's good to be on your side of the channel this time. For sure. I mean, you know, I think a lot of us uh, in the goalkeeping world, we all know of each other, but just getting to know each other a little bit more is obviously better. And, and you know, things are slowly going to get back to normal. So we have a short window now to uh, to kind of share on each other's pages. But um, so I kind of want to get into <laughs> you and uh, <laughs> get into uh, just everything that you've done, man. I think you've really done a great job of presenting yourself and, and branding yourself as somebody who is not in for the, uh, for the money. You like telling your Thank story. You. And I, I, I love I love watching your channel in the sense of the story that you tell is authentic. It's organic. It's, tr- it's true. It's yeah. a lot of the ups and downs of a uh, professional game. And, you know, I, I think there needs to be more people like yourself. But if it's just you, you're doing a great job. So keep on doing what you're doing. And do you feel like, like I asked my friend, Matt Sheldon, you know, he's, uh, you know, become a lead, I'm sure. And he created a following of, of people who, obviously you can see the struggles in his videos and you can see how injuries happen, uh, contract mm. negotiations, all that. And he keeps it very transparent. So for you mm. and in your channel, do you feel like you owe it to the fans now or the follow the people that are following you to just be transparent about certain situations of your contract, your professional career and all that? And do you feel like, um, it's tough for you to be transparent like that? Yeah, I think, I mean, Matt's a great example to, I mean, all footballers in general, just the work he's doing as a professional is incredible. But add that to the content he's creating, the honesty, the documenting of a process, it's exactly the same as what I'm trying to do. I started Keeping Goals, my kind of content series on YouTube about three years ago. And the whole aim of that was to document my journey at the time as attempting to become a professional goalkeeper. I was still in university in the UK. Um, I did a year abroad in Spain, but the whole point of it was I wanted to show something. I wanted to show goalkeepers, whatever age, whatever country, my journey and hope that they could take value from it. Because as a young kid, I would have loved to have seen a goalkeeper at 19, 20, 21, going abroad, trying to find a contract. Like you say, all the difficult sides of things like injuries, trials going wrong or not getting contracts. And kind of across the three years, I've documented all of that as long alongside kind of amazing successes of um, being in part of incredible teams, visiting incredible stadiums. But I think, like you say, being transparent is the key to all that because I knew from the right from the start that if I was dishonest, people would see it in the content and it wouldn't bring anybody value. So yeah. from every episode, I've always tried to be as honest as I possibly could be, whether I was on top of the world, clean sheets, team of the weeks, man of the matches, or whether I was letting in five or really struggling mentally <laughs> or injured or like it's seen all of the, it's seen all of the above. So yeah, it's been, it's been key to be as honest as possible. And I think that's what has built a relationship with the viewer and the audience. And they are part of my story because whilst I'm sharing it with them, they really have as much idea as the next step as I do. So, like I say, next season, I don't know where we're going to be playing. Neither does the people watching the vlog. But together, we'll find out as we go. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we come out with a nice career that we can look back on that we shared all together, which would be great. No, I think that's a great point you make there is bringing those 
people who have supported you from day one on your channel and people who are obviously from my channel and uh, listening to this, finding mm -hmm. out who you are. Because I was surprised too. It's funny. You see people on like my channel and you see people on your channel in the comment section mm -hmm. of like, you need to watch these people. And then people will comment back. You need to watch Connor O'Keefe. You need to watch Omar yeah. from Pro GK. Like, it's just yeah. funny how some people, it's such a small world in, in the goalkeeping community, but still people don't know certain people. So, I know. Uh, but, uh, but it's, it's crazy though. I think, again, that transparency, you build a relationship with the, the, your supporters. I don't call them fans. I just say supporters because mm. I even know sometimes too, if, if when I look at my channel and, you know, the DMs that I get and all that, like people, if anything, we share a love for goalkeeping. So it's just, it's just that, that, that base, you know, foundation piece that we all have together. And we all know the mm -hmm. GK union, GK community. So it's easy for me to spend five, 10 minutes responding to, uh, to a DM and for you to mm -hmm. responding to questions and all that. So, but Connor, I'm really curious to know, was there ever a, a video that you filmed for one of your vlogs that you just said, like it took you some confidence and just say, you know what, I have to post this because I need to be honest with, you know, with my supporters. Yeah. I mean, I think the first series is quite an interesting one because the first series of Keeping Goals, we only made 14 episodes. So now we're trying to make, well, right now we're doing two a week. So we're, we're pushing out loads of episodes. For, we're in series three. But series one, I was in Spain. I was doing a study abroad year and Erasmus year was part of my degree. And I was playing for a professional club at the same time. I was with a club called Fuenlabrada, who are now in the second tier of Spanish football. And I was kind of third choice there. I was training every day. In the afternoons, I'd go to, to university and study. And basically, the whole of series one had been a success story because... I'd gone out to Spain. I had no contacts. I'd done this thing of driving around, giving out gold envelopes, trying to secure a contract with a club. Wow. I managed to get pre-season training with Rayo Vallecano, who are a big club in Madrid. Um, did a full pre-season with them. Then joined Fuenlabrada, who were a full-time club. And this was whilst I was an Erasmus student. So I couldn't speak Spanish. Like All of this was kind of like a great story where it was all going brilliantly. At Fuenlabrada, we had a, a run in the Copa del Rey. So we had we managed to draw Real Madrid. So we had Real Madrid at home and away. So I was part of the squad that went to the Bernabeu, met Gareth Bale, Zinedine Zidane, wow. Kayla Navas, all this kind of stuff that was amazing. I mean, we only had four, we had 200 subscribers at the time, but the story was incredible. And then kind of it got to the second part of that season. I went out on loan to a, a fifth-tier club in Madrid. And the first few weeks was great. Kept clean sheets, was playing really well. And then we started to get really bad results and we kind of had loss after loss after loss after loss. And it was a really tough phase for me, forgetting the content just as a, as a goalkeeper. I was in a foreign country where everything had gone perfectly so far. And then suddenly it was that, like we say, roller coaster of being a goalkeeper. It was that dip where the form had dipped and I really struggled with it mentally. I was away from my family and friends. I was kind of on my own and I wasn't training well, wasn't playing well. And it got to the point where I knew I was documenting this process, but it was the first time where everything was going wrong. And I kind of thought, well, if I'm going to do this properly, if people are actually going to buy in and join me on this journey of five, 10 years of a career, there's no point me bottling it as soon as things go wrong yeah. the first time. So those episodes, I was trying to show how much I was struggling. And I think people appreciated that, but I think it showed me how important it was because I came out the other side of it, like we all know, go back on and up again everything going right but it showed me how important it important it was to not be too high when things are high and not be too low when things are low just continue to be honest with yourself continue to improve continue to work harder and gradually the progression will be positively linear anyway yeah I, I, that's i mean that's such a great point of obviously you know getting that first test a taste of kind of adversity and mm. testing your resilience and in a lot of people mm. uh can get through situations if the situation is you're the first choice uh, the results are going your way. The team isn't finding any relegation battles. Like there's no issues yeah. whatsoever. So your mind yeah. is free of any drama and you can easily obviously step into the field and, and play your best football. But mm. then you have this kind of stuff being thrown at you and not just because mm. you're facing it on the field, you're also facing your supporters and you're having to say, this is what's going on. This is what's going down. Mm. And mm. I, I think that sometimes obviously it, it's tough. And I, I don't think most people would be able to stomach showing their face in situations where let's say you had a bad game, a bad week of training, mm. and you still have to continue posting the same content over and over. So when it comes to, look, I mean, when it comes to like responses from people, did you have anybody say good things, negative things? Why are you, why are you posting certain stuff or? I mean, I've always been very fortunate that kind of on my channel, the overwhelming response has been really, really positive. I mean, my brother kind of 
consumes more YouTube than I do, really. <laughs> and he always says to me how amazing he is, how amazed he is by like the lack of dislikes, the lack of trolling, the lack of bad comments. And I'm always so appreciative of everyone who's so positive and supportive. And I think you make a good point because as goalkeepers, we're very exposed anyway. So whenever things go wrong, we're always going to be have the finger, finger pointed at us. And it's part of the job. We accept that. So I think I'm probably slightly crazy that I then go and expose myself even more by putting <laughs> it on YouTube and documenting it. But it's, it's something where if I've kind of seen that if I'm as honest as possible, if I'm not bluffing, if I'm not lying, if I'm not bigging myself to be up anything more than I am, then there's nothing for me to fear because I'm just showing who I am as a goalkeeper and as a person. And I'm hoping that it brings people value as a result. I'm not, there's no ulterior motive. So even if things do go wrong, if I'm not performing well, I'm not kind of creating content to show off or to build a reputation or to, um, for my own personal gain. So I don't feel scared in putting it up there if things go wrong, because I know that that's the journey for me as a goalkeeper. And I know it will bring value to somebody somewhere. So hopefully that helps people. And that's kind of the main objective of it all, really. Yeah, another great answer, I think. Yeah, it's 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 just great to see. I don't even call you like I put in the little picture that I, I posted of you, content creator. I would say yeah. yes, you're a content creator, but I think it's more of a storyteller. And I think yeah. that is that is something that we need in the goalkeeping community. And I've even Mondo's on here. Mondo's on here. And I told Armando, I said, bro, you need to create a channel for yourself. This is like years back when we first started. I said you need to really yeah. document uh, your career because I'm gonna have him on hopefully next week. And his story is just, you know, crazy too. And it's one that I know if I was a young kid and was had aspirations of going professional and mm. seeing what Armando ate, because he eats like a madman, he eats ridiculously well, goes to the gym a bunch, uh, has yeah. been to so many different trials and has bounced back, <clears throat> which to me, I probably would have seen his, like his content and been like, you know what? The pro game is probably not for me just because <laughs> I, I've seen, I've seen how cutthroat it can be. And I know yeah. it takes a certain amount of like psyche takes a certain amount of resilience to come back from all that adversity. So for you, what, what like certain characteristic traits have you not, let's say not had prior to going pro, but that you've had to learn to have thick skin? I think one of the biggest things that I always had from a very young age is that I was very determined to achieve the things that I set out to do. So I've never been the most talented athlete at my school. I've never been the most talented footballer. I always just knew that I would graft my way to whatever I wanted to get. Like my mum tells a story of when I was trying to walk, I'd scream at her to sit still so that I could use her legs to get up and try and walk for <laughs> hours and hours and hours. I wouldn't let her leave the room because that was what I wanted to do. And it was like, I kind of knew that if I set my heart on something or my sights on something that I would get there eventually. And I think I'm not the biggest goalkeeper. I'm only six foot. I've had plenty of coaches throughout my career tell me I'm not tall enough to be a professional. And it was always things which were external I was never worried about because I knew that if I kept grafting, I'd get where I wanted to go. And I think becoming a professional, it's been important for me to recognise the other things that I need to add to that. I know that I will always work hard to improve, but I need to surround myself with the people with the best knowledge to help me to do that so that I can take from them and learn and get better. So I've got a kind of uh, a mental training coach that I speak to once a week because I know how important the mental side of the game is. I've got an S&C guy back here in the UK that I've done all my programs with. So when I came home, I knew I was doing my training. I've got my goalkeeper coaches that I can speak to. Obviously, while I'm in the club, I've got my keeper coach, but I've got keeper coaches at home that I can build programs around with. I've just tried to build a team of specialists around me that I can go to and learn from so that I can get better because I know that I've got the drive to do it, but they have the knowledge to help me to progress at a yeah. faster rate so i need to learn from those people as much as i possibly can no i think that's a great point of, of surrounding yourself with uh good people and i think for me at least mm. I, I refer back to armando uh to me it's just a great person any video i have i sent to him first and he and i review it and mm. he says you could do better you could do better uh but if i had that ego and i think i did mm. early on where i was like okay i'm gonna put my fingerprints on this content and i want people to know that i made this and that's it and that's that's all i need but when you expose yeah. your good traits, your bad traits, the good stuff that you have, the bad stuff that you have to other people, they'll tell you straight exactly what you need to hear. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of young kids can hear this as well. When you guys are watching Connor's content or watching my content or seeing Armando go to different trials, understand mm -hmm. that there's a team around them that's helping them, not just with psych like psychology and bouncing back, mm -hmm. but also too giving them that advice that they don't have to think on their own. They can actually use other people and consult. And it seems yeah. like you kind of were early on, you know what, I have the drive and I have reverse engineered and understood what I need 
to get to that next level? How about I build this team around me? How about I put these people in place so that I know where to go for strength and conditioning? I know where to go for training. So I think that's huge, man. I think, again, that's very selfless. And I think that's something that I don't know if you always had, but it's like a gradual progression of I can allow myself to, to get help. Yeah, and it's also it's also recognizing the situation that you're in. I mean, I've never been at a Man United or a Man City. I've not been at a club where you've progressed from a 12-year-old and you have everything there whenever you turn up. I've been at clubs who are in non-league, who are in League Two, who are in League One, who are in kind of semi-professional football, professional football. And you take, there's clubs, brilliant clubs at all levels who will try and help as much as you can but they don't have the unlimited facilities of these top, top clubs. If I was at a top, top club, it'd be on my fingertips, but it's not. So there's no point in me sitting there and whining and complaining, saying, oh, if I was at Man United, everything would be fine because I'm getting better all the time. It's not going to happen because I'm not there yet. So instead, yeah. I need to build the, uh, those own resources around me in order to get there because if I'm going to whine, whine and moan about it, it's never going to happen. So I might as well put it into place so that I can at least have the chance of getting where I want to go. Yeah, another great answer, man. I think, again, uh, a lot of times, and uh, I've spoken to uh, Mike, I don't know if you know him from my other podcast that I do, Inside the mm. 18, and, and he always tells me, you know, a lot of these young kids that are watching your stuff, they are so fascinated with the pro game and mm. the highest of highest levels, where mm. even the number two, like, you know, for example, Sergio Romero is the number two at Man United, and he's the national team starter for Argentina. And World Cup finalist. World Cup finalist, man. And he is somebody who is sitting on the bench behind De Gea, obviously one of the best yeah. in the world. But that just shows you how tough it is to, to break into a first team at the next level. So mm. at the USL level, at uh, MLS level, for example, mm -hmm. even here, the college level in the States, mm -hmm. those kids and those coaches that you're watching as well are more likely where you're going to fall because of obviously situation, opportunities. So you need to watch their day-to-day not struggle, but their day-to-day -day process to see how you can implement those same processes to get you to that next level. Because it's a stepping stone, but I think we're so fascinated and disillusioned with the pro game on the Champions League and the you know, Premier League that we get so lost that that's our goal when really we're probably never going to reach that. Not because we're not yeah. good enough, but because yeah. look at Sergio, yeah, Sergio Romero, again, for example, you're a World Cup finalist and you're sitting for a great team, but you could easily be a starter for pretty much any team in the world. Yeah. So... I don't know if you can kind of, if you want to add on to that. No, there's no, I mean, there's nothing wrong setting your sights that high. I've set my <laughs> sights that high. It's important to set your sights that high, but it's also to, important to put in place a progression path, which will actually give you a, the best chance of doing that. And like you say, it's not even that I'm in the championship pushing for promotion to the Premier League. Like you've got a long way to go to even be at that level. And so at that point, there's no point being overwhelmed by that massive goal and giving it up. And there's no point being disillusioned as to where you actually are. All you can do is focus on the next steps that is literally tomorrow. What can I do to get better as a goalkeeper? And if you keep going like that, I hope that all of you that have said it, you get to the Champions League. I hope that I get to the Champions League. But even, <laughs> if, even, if, even if you don't, if you keep progressing like that and you look back at the end of it and you think, actually, I came a really, really long way and I worked really hard and I'm very proud of the work I put in. That's a great result for me. So. Absolutely. And we always, you know, a lot of us, we have those figures that we look at at the top of the game. Those are mm -hmm. the guys who are our inspirations, our role models. Mm -hmm. And obviously, yes, you, you should look at them and, and see their stories as well, but also see their work ethic. We have a lot of content on YouTube now where you can see guys working out in the gym. I mean, we've all yeah. seen those famous uh, videos of Joe Hart doing uh, not block saves, but he has like, you know, those bands yeah, in the yeah, gym. Yeah, yeah. And those, when those clips are, are super important to watch to see what the next level is doing. So growing up, Connor, I think we mentioned it last week on, on your episode or you did it with Alberto, but who was mm -hmm. your, who was your inspiration? Who was the, the maybe one or two guys that you looked at, uh, looked up to growing up and why? Um, I think there were a few. I mean, I was very fortunate. I'm a Man United fan and I kind of grew up watching United when they were winning everything as opposed to now. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I've, I've seen some good goalkeepers and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But kind of big inspirations for me um, when I was a kid, Spanish football was on TV. It was on Sky and I was a big fan of it. And I loved watching Casillas. And he was I can't, more, kind of more than from a goalkeeping element, just kind of as a, as a person, what he achieved. Because at that time, I was 14, 15, 16. Everyone was telling me I was too small to be a pro. And I was looking at this guy who was 5'11", winning World Cups, Champions Leagues, goal, goalkeeper of the year. And I'm like, well, if he can do it, like, there's no excuse for you not to try. So he was a big inspiration for me. Um, 
you mentioned Joe Hart, but Joe Hart was also a big inspiration because being an English keeper, seeing what he did, he came from a, a relatively small club in Shrewsbury to then go and play as Man City's number one, England's number one, have unbelievable seasons. It still is a very, very, very good goalkeeper. I have huge respect for Joe Hart and what, he was, what he's achieved. And I think it's, it's disrespectful the amount of slight he gets at the moment. But he was a big inspiration. Van der Sar at United when we were winning everything. There were there were a few, but I think Casillas was probably the main one growing up who inspired me a lot. Not so much just because of the goalkeeping, but because of it showed me that you didn't have to be six foot four to be a professional. So that was that was big for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I think those are very uh, sound role models. And again, I think a lot of us gravitate towards goalkeepers that we resonate with. Right? You're talking about mm. the the height issue, and I'm I'm yeah. the same. I'm probably you and I are probably the same height. I'm six feet. Mm. And growing mm. up, I see like Gregory Coupe playing in the Euros mm. uh, for, yeah. for France and for Lyon when they won like nine straight uh, uh, league ones. So, I mean, those those figures to me are more attainable and reachable than somebody like Peter Schmeichel. Joe Hart, six yeah. foot four, a monster. Yeah. So to yeah. me, I, I looked at those guys like Van der Sar as well, and mm. I didn't so much resonate with their journeys, but I resonated with their characteristics as goalkeepers. So obviously yeah, you have Casillas. Yeah, I love Victor Valdez as well. Like those two mm -hmm. for me, because, you know, obviously I'm a Barca fan. So I used to yeah. watch those guys, Jens Lehmann. I would watch those guys and I would just be fascinated by um, their size, what they can mm. do in goal, the respect mm. that they garnered even at their size that they were. So it gave yeah. me a belief that I could actually continue my, my career uh, a little bit further than where I'm at now. But then I mm -hmm. saw someone like, you know, Peter Schmeichel and I saw someone like Van der Sar with their you know, uh, Peter Schmeichel with his presence, Peter Schmeichel with his distribution from a throw. Then I had Van der mm. Sar with his communication, with his distribution. Yeah. So I took little bits and pieces off all those guys. And I think I was able to construct an ideal goalkeeper that I wanted to be. And yeah. I, would, uh, I would steal little things from them. Like yeah. I remember I used to watch Euro 2004. I think it was in my, uh, in my car. We had a DVD. And right before my game, I think they played a ball. I was watching uh, Casillas against, I think it was Spain versus Italy or somebody in the 2004 mm -hmm. Euros. He comes over the top. It's like a bouncing ball. He comes out, headers the ball out of bounds. He resets. Everything's good. In that game, I'm on my way to my game. The ball comes over the top. I come out, and I header the ball as well. And I remember mm -hmm. just thinking, like, I remember my parents were like, yeah, the parents were really surprised that you did that. And I was just yeah. like, yeah, I mean, if, if only you had known that prior, I was actually, like, yeah. gaining that mental recall of watching this yeah. footage which I think again is is important to watch YouTube, but right, watch the right stuff. I think so yeah, like, it's been a big it's been a big part of my training right now. <clears throat> so even in lockdown, you can go onto YouTube, you can search full match football, full match soccer, and you can find these games from all different levels. I mean, I watched a World Cup game between Spain and Holland, and I watched the National League playoff final between Tranmere and Boreham Wood. Like you can watch so many <laughs> different levels of football, but you can learn from each and every single keeper because they're playing at these levels that you obviously want to get to. So I think, yeah, it's, you were doing obviously the pro goalkeeper analysis before everyone else, but it's, um, <laughs> it's been a big part of my kind of lockdown training because it's so easy to do from home. Um, I'm with you, man. And that's like the tough part sometimes that I notice from my DMs and stuff that I get from people is just, you know, what is the one or two things that I can do today that's going to improve me for tomorrow? Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I definitely see where the young kids are coming from and I get it, but it's unfortunate that there's something, you're, you're trying to find that information that's going to turn you from somebody who is at a decent level to a pro level without putting, like you said, you had that innate work ethic from a young age that allowed you to open your mind and understand that if you want to have good things and great things in life, you have to put your best foot forward and put people around you that are going to help you. So mm. I think, again, that's something that uh, uh, I'm sure you get, you, you get asked a lot. So are there any questions that you get asked in the DMs that you kind of just shake your head at and go, come on, guys, like, there's an easy <laughs> answer for this. But I, I, you know, what I, mean? I, I, I get a lot of them. Yeah. And I know a lot of yeah, us yeah, 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 uh, yeah. content creators do. So are there any ones that stand out for you? Yeah, well, I, I mean, for, for a start you're right and people asking that and I think patience is a key thing for that so everyone's saying how can I be a pro how can I be a pro and I think whether you're 14 15 16 younger older like you look at me I'm 24 like I'm still grafting trying to learn how to improve. <laughs> like you got a lot of time that you've got to put in the work if you want to get there and you've got to be patient and be happy to be patient but one, I mean, I get some questions which do make me laugh. I mean, some of the some of the ones I get in the DMs where it's like, "Have you got any drills to help me as a goalkeeper?" And I'm like, 
that's li- that's literally that's literally what i do like just look, look through my instagram look through my youtube like, just go and have a look like there's there's quite a lot in there so that one always makes me laugh when i get things like that but no i i think it's brilliant that people have access to this kind of material now like you say when we were kids we had kind of one or two dvds if we were lucky which were based around goalkeeping now at your fingertips on your phone you can access all these people that are bringing you incredible information and helping you to improve so i'm i'm kind of i'm always happy to see people asking questions and wanting to learn as young goalkeepers because it's such an important skill to have to be able to do that research and if you can learn from anybody putting out good quality information that's going to help you and benefit you as a realistic goalkeeper then then you should do it so i'm always grateful to see those questions yeah i'm with you and it's uh patience is a huge word and i think a lot of us myself included i think that's one thing that i wish i had a little bit more of is just understanding that there's a process to things and growing up i feel like that's something that hindered my uh, performances because I was always uh, had a diet for one week. That diet went well, played well on the weekend. Okay, take my foot off the gas for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then by Wednesday, I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should probably start preparing for Thursday or for the weekend. And it became this Mm. constant, like, vicious cycle of if I just had a plan in place and I just put my, you know, my mind to something that I could probably look up on YouTube and say, hey, what's a week like or a month-like schedule for a a pro footballer or something like that. So there's information out there. And I think my message to the young kids would be there's information, just be patient, understand that you're asking questions that there's probably answers to out there. And Connor, mm-hmm. myself, other people who create content, we were those same kids that had those same questions. And as we've yeah. gotten to that next level of content creation, we've been able to bottle that message. And, you know, obviously aesthetically, you want to make it look good so that it's like a, mm-hmm. hits that viral aspect, <clears throat> but also, yeah. also too, the information, the substance is there. So, the information is there, guys, and I think it's important for you guys to uh, to really try and just garner that knowledge for yourself. Ask yeah. all those questions yourself, and mm-hmm. if you can't answer them, then reach out to people like us. And if you want drills, we have plenty of them, so don't uh, <laughs> don't be afraid yeah. to ask. Um, and always have but, always have that kind of critical aspect of your research. So try and see the stuff which will benefit you in a game. That's the most important thing when you're looking at this all this stuff. I know there's been a lot of buzz recently about kind of the goalkeeping community and and what people should be watching and shouldn't be watching. And there is plenty, there's plenty in there which you shouldn't be watching. But if you can kind of assess whatever you're watching from whoever and see, right, is this going to benefit benefit me as a goalkeeper in a match? Then make sure you have that kind of critical element of it too. There's nothing wrong with watching things for fun, but you do need to kind of structure your training around realistic and, and good quality research for sure. Well, Connor, we have, uh, we've answered, you know, a good amount of your background. And I think now I want to get into mm-hmm. the Q&A. So guys, if you guys can just go ahead and start putting your questions down here. I'm going to scroll through them and uh, we'll try and go as quickly as we can through them and, and see what mm-hmm. we can get. But uh, Sia underscore HFC1, she says, what are your favorite pair of gloves that you have ever worn? Ooh, ever worn. Um, I was a big fan of the, I think it was the Adidas Ace, maybe around 2014, 15, 16, that kind of time. Um, I was a big fan of them. Um, kind of, it was when they were moving towards that kind of lighter glove with the backhand, but they hadn't gone that fully kind of stitch one. And I had kind of like a luminous yellow one, which was lovely, a white one. Um, but at the minute I'm wearing Calia gloves and I'm kind of, I'm a huge fan of Calia. The, I don't know about if you guys kind of have seen them over in the States, but they've got a good reputation here in the UK. And um, I've got a lovely pair of them, which are like all white with the black Calia logo and they're, they're beautiful gloves. I'm a big fan of like negative cut as well. And they do a very good negative cut. And um, yeah, I've been wearing them this season and I love them. You know what? Honestly, I never even knew what uh, a glove cut was. I just wore. I didn't, I didn't till recently. Right, like I, it's all become like a freaking Alberto all out of, out of nowhere created his channel. And I'm like, dude, I've never heard of a negative cut or anything it's like probably, that. So probably he really a good thing because I would have bought so many more when I was younger. My mom and dad would have hated it because I'd be like, oh, I need to try this cut. I need to try this cut. It would have, it would have bankrupted. We would have had really high uh, expectations for for our parents to be like, you know what, you need to understand why this glove is important. Let me yeah, sit you exactly. down, watch Alberto's videos, and you guys can understand why I need this cut. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I had I had the Vapor Grip threes. Like, I mean. Almunia was the famous one that I, I used to see wear them. Uh, mm. I used to see a little bit of Victor Valdez. I think he had them for a little bit, but it was like mm. white ones and you had like the red ones that Almunia had. And it was just, oh man, the little isolated pinky on the outside. 
that was to me one of my favorite gloves. I wore them one time. They were probably like 120 bucks and I got them for like 90 and I thought it was like a crazy steal. Like I walked out of there kind of like, <laughs> I hope this guy doesn't stop me, doesn't realize that I'm he's selling these for very cheap. I wore yeah. them in a game and I probably had them for like 10 games and they were just my favorite gloves. Great, uh, great grip. They fit really well. And obviously they just give you that little idea that when you come out for a cross, because your pinky is kind of isolated, it gives you a bigger palm so you can really try and catch a lot more stuff. So maybe it was just playing in my head, but I definitely love those gloves and I definitely uh, would recommend Nike bringing those back in the mm -hmm. old school uh, style. Yeah. Um, let's see, we have uh, Curtis Lamb. He says, how are you staying positive during this lockdown, not knowing where we're gonna get, when we're gonna get back to training? Yeah, I think it's been a tough one. I think um, all of us have, have for sure struggled at different points in whatever sense. Um, kind of my mentality when coming back from Spain to the UK for lockdown was that I knew a lot of people well, as I looked at it, I thought that everybody was in the same situation. It was probably the first time in our life that probably David Gea down to Sunday league goalkeepers are stuck at home. Okay, David Gea might have people giving him training programs, but it's likely you could find very similar training programs on the internet. So it was almost that absolutely everyone at all levels was in the same boat. And it was about how well you kind of dealt with that situation. So the way I looked at it, it was a huge opportunity for me to catch up the people where I wanted to be. So if I'm looking at playing at a good, a top level, then I need to be building a better program than the lads who are already at that level. And I need to be doing it more often and I need to be more consistent and I need to eat better, sleep better, drink better. And that was kind of my mentality going into it, that it was such a unique chance for me to catch up and even overtake people who were ahead of me. That was the way I kind of approached it. And I think even now people are starting to go back and they're starting to kind of think about football again and, in I think in subconsciously some goalkeepers are probably thinking right I need to recover my fitness I need to get back to where I was before I feel like I've already progressed from where I was before so I've now got this next off season almost until pre-season to really even develop even more because I want to be a much much better keeper when I start again than I was when I left and I feel like I'm on track for that so that was kind of my mentality going into it and I know that's kind of quite obsessive and full-on but yeah, I, I saw it as the best way to keep me going all the way through it yeah. and it's kind of done that job really. No I think that's that's a really good point to all the young kids out there and I think there's a stark difference from you being within a team setting and getting your mm. fitness in and, and having a uh, someone to be accountable to and mm. then once you have these situations where everybody's on a level playing field you start to see the people who are going to close the gap and differentiate themselves mm. from those that already have the innate ability to kind of have that that hunger and obsessiveness. Obviously, it's exactly. a healthy obsessiveness because you you know you, you only train once, twice a day. You're not killing mm -hmm. yourself, but at least mm -hmm. you're out there. And if it's anything, you're hitting balls against the wall, working on your weak foot, your prep touch. Something as small as that, it adds up, and the percentages obviously slowly become in your favor if the goalkeepers that mm -hmm. are in your unit aren't putting that same work in. And I think that yeah, is again, I, I refer back to myself when I played. I was the kind of guy who, when I was in preseason, I wanted to use that preseason to get in shape and get and get fit. When really the two months prior to my own preseason with the team, that was my time to, yeah. to get fit myself. So my yeah. body was breaking down in college by game, let's say out of 20 games, by game 12 or 13, my body started becoming fatigued. I started yeah. to plateau. And I yeah. realized that there's a lot more that goes into to strengthening the, 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 the body, but also the mind to withstand those barrage of games. And I think yeah. that is, again, to your point, it's, it's very important for anybody listening that you guys don't wait for anybody to create a program for you. Don't wait for your team setting to get you into shape. Find the information and go out there and, and take the initiative. And I think that is hopefully something that from your answer and this answer right here, I think that's something that kids can walk away with and um, use whatever's left of this quarantine to, to really up their game. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've done plenty of videos talking about it. And I, literally the one that's coming out this Sunday, I tell everyone my training program for the next six weeks and how I've built it and what it is and what I'm doing every single day and if you can find people that are giving out that information there's plenty out there for all positions not just goalkeepers yeah. you can really take it and use it and I'm not expecting everyone to follow the exact same training program as me everyone's different and everything and different things work for different people but I've kind of broken it down into making sure that I have physical technical and mental sessions that I'm doing throughout the week and I do that on a consistent basis and I up that level over the time and that's kind of the simple structure of it, really. And Connor, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the camera didn't create what you are today. You already had all of these qualities in you. You just brought a camera along. Yeah, I mean, 
it's funny because I've got to give credit to Johnny, the guy that I create Keeping Goals with. He helps me with the editing. He was my housemate at uni. We kind of came up with the idea together. He was the kind of the videographer, the guy that was used to telling stories, making videos. I never really made videos before. It wasn't something that I did. And it was kind of something that worked. We worked really well together. And I think over this time, it's just kind of shown me the best way of presenting it for others to help them. I think it was always in my head. I always built my own stuff this way or, or structure my own training. And as I've got older, I've learned massive amounts. So back 10 years ago at 14, I was doing, I wasn't doing anywhere near the stuff because I didn't have the knowledge and it does come with age and with time. But I feel like now, yeah, with the camera, it kind of showcases this. Nothing's like I said earlier, nothing's put on. It's just documenting and showcasing what we can do rather than making anything up for, for the camera for sure. Love that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Moving on here. We have a question from PS goalkeeping. Uh, they mm -hmm. say, do you have any tips for knowing when to come to crosses and when not to? I know it's tough yeah. when we really can't draw anything out here or show clips to back up our arguments. But if you want to take this one on. Yeah, I think I actually think crosses is probably one of the most difficult areas of goalkeeping in terms of the factors that are involved. So you obviously have to be brave to come and take it. It's a high risk situation, especially amongst bodies. If you drop it, it's likely to end up in a goal. And if you mess up the timing, it goes over you. Lots of bad things can happen. And I think as a result, people get nervous with crosses. I've been there in my career where I found it very daunting to come for crosses. And you see goalkeepers who aren't confident start to drop their set positions deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And that can be affected by confidence from whatever level. So I think the thing with crosses is confidence comes from repetition and from work. If you can do as many reps of crosses as possible in training with your teammates, but also away from your team training, you have subconsciously built processes where you recognize the flight path of the ball when you know when you should come or if you should come subconsciously. You don't need to make a decision based on that factor because you've seen a thousand crosses from that place before and you know where it's going to go. So for me, if you can increase the amount of reps you've done in practice, the confidence becomes subconscious. So you'll see it, see it leave their foot. You understand the picture in front of you. And you know whether to leave it or come before you even have the chance to actually recognize you're making the decision. So I think that practice and repetition is what enforces a flow state, which we all love to talk about, which is the ideal state of coming and taking and being very relaxed. And that only comes from having done the work before. So obviously in a game situation, if you're not feeling it, you need to judge it based on the situation. But over a long period of time, if you can put in lots and lots of reps and practice from lots of different areas. I loved your piece that you did when you were talking about the zones of crosses. Uh, I can't remember which coach was on talking to you, but talking about the body position dependent on the zone of the ball. I've been doing loads of drills on that because I think it's so important to recognize where your body position should be based on the, the cross originating from. And if you can have that practice behind you, it becomes so much easier to make the decision. Yeah. And I mean, it, I want to add on a little bit more to that. And I think again, for all those young goalkeepers who don't have a goalkeeper coach, I think the number one thing you can do is if you have your friends out there, don't go out there and just kind of waste your time. Try and figure out a way that you can make their shot stopping or their shoot, uh, their shots. Cause obviously we have friends who only want to shoot. We have mm -hmm. friends who want to work on their crossing, find a way that you can maximize game realistic scenarios through that. So mm -hmm. I think when it comes to uh, my experiences, my goalkeeper coach of the galaxy, he walked up to us and he said, Hey guys, you know, what do you guys want to work on? What do you need help with? And throughout the whole group, it was six of us. We all said, we need crosses. We don't know how to mm -hmm. judge crosses. Uh, mm -hmm. we're obviously all slowly getting into our, our natural body, uh, uh, types and our height that we need to, uh, to understand what our zone is and what our range is, but we haven't had enough of those reps. So can you please do that? So he said, okay, I'll, I'll put every session when we do about 20 to 30 minutes of it every single day. And like you said, all those mental reps, they add up. And after mm. you've seen enough balls over and over and over from different distances, different, uh, you know, curling away from goal, curling into goal, you have a better idea of where your set position is going to be and where you're going to start for each, uh, each service, depending on where the ball is. And mm. I think for young players, if you don't have a coach who's going to be the one initiating, uh, you know, those, those sessions to do with crossing and shot stopping to get you those reps, you need to reverse engineer and understand what is the final act that I'm trying to work on here. Okay. Mm. I'm going to try and work on an outswinging service, you know, balls parallel to the 18 from mm. a moving ball. Okay. Have your yeah. friend take a touch Maybe put like some cones on the floor or maybe even like a dummy. And then from there, once they serve that ball in, 
even if Connor, even if that ball doesn't even fall in your six and it goes out, you need to have the muscle memory to track the ball all the way across, move yeah. your sh- uh, your set shape across, and at least respect as that ball comes across, respect it with your movement. So now when mm-hmm. the ball comes into a game, it's that half decision that you decided not to come, but you still followed and tracked that ball with your movement. That is huge. Completely agree. I won't add anything to that because I completely agree. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, stole the mic on that one. Let's see uh, what we got here. Oh, this is a good one. Mally underscore Starboy. Great name, by the way. Um, 2v, <laughs> 2v1 situations. Connor, how do you deal with those? As in like two strikers with me? Yes. Say so a 1v1 ball over the top. Your defender's yeah. on track. You're coming out it's to one horrible. guy. And then... It's horrible. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, the, th- the, thing, the thing you have to – the thing I've found most effective is just waiting for them to make their decision and reacting to it as best as you possibly can. So uh, elite strikers, okay, they'll probably be able to dispatch that pretty comfortably. But at majority of levels, they're probably as nervous as you are in terms of their 2v1 with the keeper. They know they need to score. So if you delay and delay and delay based on obviously positioning, I don't know where it is or what you need to do physically, but if in a kind of dual sense, you delay and you delay them long enough for them to make a decision and then you react, you have a much better chance of making the save than if you commit very early and very quickly and you make the decision for them. So if they're 2v1 and I come flying out really, really fast, I'm not set, I'm not ready, and they just square it and tap it in, they've breathed a massive sigh of relief because I made their decision for them. Yeah. If I'm holding and I'm set and I'm looking at him and I'm saying, right, are you going to pass it? Are you going to shoot? He then has to make a decision. So he's got the pressure of his mate screaming for the ball. He's got the pressure of going, I really want to score myself, to be honest. And he's got the pressure of thinking, right, if I do want to score, it's got to be a good shot. And all those factors combined actually makes it a high pressure situation for them as opposed to you. So if you can just delay and hold them off and say, right, beat me or pass, they've got to do the job. And if they do beat you and score, you say, fair play, you've done well, it's it's a goal. But I've found kind of more often than not, they will mess up in some sense. Either the finish isn't perfect and you can make the save or the pass is slow and you can cut it out or they sky it or miss it completely. So I think put the ball in their court and say, right, what are you going to do? And then react as best as you possibly can and as fast as you possibly can to that to that initial motive is would be my advice, really. No, that's, that's great advice. And the only thing I would add on to that is sometimes where 1v1s especially, we give ourselves up way too easily. And yeah. I watch, dude, I watch so many clips where goalkeepers, I mean, I'm posting one probably the next two days from the U17s or I think it was a Champions League, Youth Champions League. And this goalkeeper, his team is up like 4-0, but still, they hit a ball that's like parallel to the... Uh, the six or on the line with the six corner of the six he comes running out of his goal does like the spread save the guy mm. literally just taps it around him and scores and i watch that and i'm just like you guys i mean what's where's the discipline i mean just stay up even from that angle there's so, so, uh, certain times where goalkeepers come out rushing out of their goal give themselves up completely leave so much space behind them and now mm. you're almost looking like the bad guy because you came out and didn't have discipline to stay on your feet so i think it's obviously those yeah a lot of his nerves, people anxious to make a decision and make the right one and just doing it quick. It's about, like mm-hmm. you say, being disciplined and almost relaxing in the situation. But I loved, again, another one. I can't remember the coach. I'm sorry. But another post you did based on the decisions for the 1v1s based on where the striker is receiving the ball in mm-hmm. terms of outside the box, close to the 18-yard line, within the box and where the goalkeeper should be. That was brilliant because it's such a simple breakdown. But, I mean, I'd never had that taught to me throughout my career. Like, I'm a professional at 24. But, like, yeah. th- that taught me something. But it's, it's, it's really important, like you say, you do that research. But I think a lot of it's nerves that people come flying out. But if you can kind of wait and judge it and then make your decision, you often get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and everything, I mean, everything with goalkeeping is split decisions. And I think mm. the, the biggest thing you can do is, I mean, I hate to say it, but fail as often as you can. Meaning don't mm-hmm. be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to yeah. get in situations where in training you're protecting yourself from misreading a cross or misreading a ball over the top. Understanding that those trial and errors over and over and over, you start figuring out what your range is. You start, you start figuring out how, how much ground you can cover in that tight space. And you see Ederson, you see Neuer, those guys, they only show you the best highlights. But you see so many yeah. times those guys make the mistake. And then because they have confidence in themselves and they've made that mistake once – they're still going to go out there and do it again. I think it was uh, mm-hmm. Richard Wright who was on, on uh, 
Joe Hart's podcast, he was saying that one of the things that some of the best goalkeepers in the world, the characteristic traits that they have is that lack of fear, that lack of if something doesn't go right the first time, you're not going to doubt your own ability. You're going to say, you know what, didn't go right the first time, but I know this next ball that comes over the top, I'm going to be able to be a sweeper keeper and come and uh, eliminate the, uh, the danger. So I think that's what I would say as young kids is be, like we talked about earlier, be patient to understand mm-hmm. that things are trial and error and mm-hmm. trial and error comes through training, right? And sometimes in games, yeah. hopefully not as much in games, but in training. So that's why us coaches, we need to make sessions as game realistic as we can. So those decisions translate well on the weekend. And I think failure is huge because if you can define your relationship with failure as an opportunity to learn, you've cracked the game, really. As goalkeepers, we will all fail. Every training session, we will fail. Every game, we will fail. There will be something that goes wrong. Even if you watch a top, top professional, you watch 90 minutes, they will fail at something. Nothing will be perfect. If you watch video highlights on YouTube, you're going to think that all the pros are perfect. Trust me, watch one game and you'll see them make a mistake in some way. You just hope that it's not a big one. But as goalkeepers, if you can crack that relationship with failure and embrace the failure and go, okay, I don't want it to happen. But when it does, it's data rich. It teaches me so much. There's so much for me to learn from it. I will learn so much more from a game where I have a lot of failures than a game that goes well. Obviously, I want the game to go well. But if I can embrace it and not be scared of it, but see it as an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to progress, then that's the key to cracking that mentality. And I think in the UK, we've probably had a problem with um, the scrutiny on goalkeepers from a young age, from managers, from parents, from uh, kids. And you get scared of making a mistake because you don't want the judgment and you don't want the blame. But if you can somehow crack it at a really early age, I'm still working on doing it now. But if you can crack it at an earlier age of being, okay, I don't want it to fail. But when it does, it's perfect for me to learn and get better. You're not scared of making the mistakes anymore. And you trust yourself a lot more. And I think that's a key factor in having such a good mentality as a goalkeeper. That's a hell of an answer, man. I think uh, one thing that I've always said in the past is those games where you make those small mistakes and small decisions that aren't errors but don't turn into goals and your mm. team wins those mm. are the best because we all know that if somebody makes a mistake like people don't people forget then the champions league final i think 2013 atletico madrid versus real madrid casillas messed up i think he came out Big for time. a ball that he yeah. messed up completely but no one ever talks about that we just talk about no. sergio ramos scoring the header and then after that bale and bernaldo and all that when they went 4-1 so all these little things had to happen for his mistake to be swept under the rug. So yeah. that's, what I, that's what I'm on after as well is remember, like you said, you can watch the highlights, but when you watch the actual games, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that don't go properly for these goalkeepers and don't go right, but they're able to obviously be because of the result or because they have that uh, trait of being able to be resilient and, and go through situations where they can come back and, and be headstrong through the situation. I think that mm-hmm. is what's going to help them. So from an early age, guys, don't be afraid to fail, like Connor said. And make sure you get those out of the way as early as possible. And then uh, hopefully you're in better stead moving forward. Yeah, and embrace uh, it. And, and when it happens, you, like you say, move on. But learn from it and move on. That's what they've done with game. So don't worry about it. Yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to keep on going here. Connor, we have – I mean, I think they let you go over an hour now. So is it okay if we go a little bit longer? Yeah, just go as long as you want. Okay. Okay, yeah, Salim under or Salim dot Jana one Connor, can you tell us about your experiences learning new techniques? Let me rephrase it. Your time in Spain. So tell me about your time in Spain, and and obviously we all know the Latin American and and kind of how the Spanish and those guys kind of do things. What mm. was that kind of being thrown into uh, those sessions like? It was a huge learning curve for me as a keeper, just the approach to goalkeeping. So obviously in the UK, stereotypically, but it is true there's more of a focus on the physical elements of goalkeeping. So the game is more direct, for sure. And as a goalkeeper, we focus a lot more on your physical presence, like you say, Schmeichel, coming and taking crosses, being brave, being strong, being dominant, being fast, being powerful. Those are a lot of key words which you'll hear English goalkeeper coaches use at the levels that I was experiencing. Obviously, like I say, I wasn't in Man United's academy. I was in football league academies or conference academies. And um, going to Spain, the complete focus was only on technique. There was very little focus on physical elements. So I was in a professional club in Spain. We trained maybe one hour in the gym a week. That was it. 
compared to where wow. I was in England, it was probably an equal split of gym and field training. Maybe in America, it's even more skewed. But in Spain, it was complete focus on technique. Straight away, first sessions, I'm in a Spanish rondo with outfield players that have played for Real Madrid, Argentina, Atletico Madrid. And it's like, they expect you to be up to that standard. And that this was in a third division club in Spain. So like, for me, being dropped in as an English keeper, I was like, wow, okay, I'm out my depth. I need to learn very, very quickly how to improve at all this. So as a goalkeeper, it's funny because when I went over to Spain initially, I saw the goalkeepers, <clears throat> the goalkeepers over there were very laid back, very relaxed. When they trained, it wasn't at full intensity. Often I'd watch these keepers and I think they're just walking through sessions. They're not really trying. And I was like, right, watch me. I'll go in and I'll be flying. I'll be so fast. I'll be so powerful. I'll, I'll, be, I'll blast them out of the water with it. And I'd go and do my session, my reps. And the keeper coach would be like, yeah, okay, brilliant. You're really quick. You're really strong. You're really athletic. But your technique's nowhere near as good as them. And your positioning nowhere near as good as them. So they don't need to do all that because their position is spot on and their technique's perfect. So he said, right, let's break down your technique. Let's build that back up again. Get your positioning spot on, your technique. And then you've got that as well as the physical elements. Now you're becoming a keeper. And it was almost like I kind of saw it as the opportunity to develop that side of my game more so that I could combine the Spanish focus on technique with the English kind of resilience and dominance and, and strength and power. And I thought, right, that's a great opportunity to merge the two as a goalkeeper. And I think that's something that I've been quite fortunate to develop and makes me quite a unique goalkeeper. So I learned a lot from my time in Spain and training with Spanish goalkeeper coaches for sure. Yeah, and I think, again, uh, never discounting any technique or discounting anything that potentially could help your game. And I think uh, when I was younger, we used to always make saves with our hands. And now mm. with De Gea being so good with his feet and, you know, shot stopping with his feet, everyone's realizing, oh, my God, maybe it's probably best that we don't have to go all the way to the ground to, our, to get to our hands. or We don't have mm. to uh, sweep our own feet to, to get our hands in position when really we could probably stand up, cover above our waist and up. And at the same time, too, let our legs be as tactically and technically proficient as well. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, little things like that, and that's also like one of the big things that I watch with YouTube clips like De Gea, Neuer, Courtois, all those guys, when you watch them, it's like, yes, understand that, yes, they, they have certain capabilities that you may not have because of their size, but also to the context mm -hmm. of why they're using the block save, context of why they're using kick saves, of, you know, why they're side volleying a ball for a counterattack, you know? So it's important to, while you watch these clips, understand the context and the techniques that I'm sure um, you weren't aware of that your coach made aware of, like, there's a reason why these guys are better than you. It's because of their positioning. Notice the positioning now, and let's try and yeah. get your where your positioning is and where your mindset is prior to a shot. Yeah. Let's try and even it out with these guys. So now your physicality, now your other techniques mm -hmm. that you had in England, all those come to the forefront because you close the gap on those guys in terms of uh, positioning and tactical awareness. 100%. I mean, there's two, there's two kind of techniques that spring to mind very specifically from being in Spain. One is kind of the pickup when dropping a knee. So I never really did that. I was always taught kind of have spreading the legs and scooping it. And obviously in Spain, there's kind of a big no-no with that. They don't like the legs being apart and the vulnerability of not having your knee behind it. And for me personally, I still do it because I found that when learning to drop my knee behind the ball, if the ball took a slight deviation, I wasn't able to adjust my body because my knee had anchored me. And so it was also being aware of the fact that, okay, they teach this, but for me and my game, it's better what I'm doing now. So I'll respectfully learn it. But when it comes to being in a game and that situation happening, I need to back myself and not try and reteach my whole goalkeeping because I wasn't doing everything wrong. I'm looking for those 1% gains. I'm not looking to rebuild my whole skill set. So it's also about recognizing, okay, they're going to teach me that and I'm going to be respectful and I'm going to learn it. And it might be important in a particular moment, but also knowing what works best for you as an individual. So, I mean, even watching top keepers, you see Kayla Navas and you see people, and I probably critique his goalkeeping style in some things he does. And I think that's not technically right. That's not technically right. He lands on his back, he rolls over. But then the, the guy wins three Champions Leagues in a row. And you think, right, okay, well, Kayla, you're pretty good to be fair. Just do what you want to do. So it's like you need to be very confident in your own ability, in your own game. You're not going to be the same as everybody else. Learn from, obviously, from people and try and get those 1% gains, but back yourself, basically. 
I love that, man. And Kayla Navis is a perfect example. I think a lot of us in the goalkeeping community, we were yeah. looking for any reason to, to mm -hmm. doubt him because of obviously from Costa Rica, not a big country and not a European yeah. name. But, you know, there are times where I would see him dive off his off leg. So, then, you know, we're going to our right, usually you dive off your right leg. He was pushing yeah. off his off leg, which was a his left foot. And you're just yeah. like, how did he get to that? But if it yeah. works for you and you feel like your style is something that can, uh, can get the job done, us as coaches, mm. we have to work with that. We can't change it. Yeah. Um, okay, Connor, I'm going to leave you. I have two more questions. But uh, Wesley, I think he's an Atlanta United goalkeeper coach, Wesley uh, one. He says, how as coaches can we make a comfortable environment at training for mistakes to happen and help goalkeepers deal with them? I kind of want to rephrase that for you is how would you appreciate yeah. a coach allowing you to uh, be okay to not make uh, mistakes in training? Um. I think the relationship between a goalkeeper coach and the goalkeepers is one that you should really try and protect from both ends. It's a important relationship to maintain and to structure because within that goalkeeping hub, outsiders don't really understand how to best deal with it. So I always prefer a goalkeeper coach who tries to get to know me as an individual and who has that trusting element to begin with before any mistakes are made because then I feel as a goalkeeper, I feel protected enough to come to him and say I know that was wrong because the, the majority of goalkeepers are going to know when they've made a mistake unless they're very naive you're going to know it was a mess up but instead of being very protective and shielding yourself from abuse and not even seeking out how to learn like we were saying if you have that trusting relationship with your goalkeeper coach you can say listen I know that was wrong what do you feel I could have done better and then how can we implement steps for me to learn that process and to make it second nature. So having that trusting relationship is very, very important before anything happens. When it happens, the goalkeeper coach, obviously, you want to recognise it. There's no point shying away from mistakes. There's no point hiding and pretending it didn't happen. So from a goalkeeper standpoint and a goalkeeper coach, you both need to say, that was wrong. One of you might need to say it first, or that was a mistake. We could have done better there. And then... I'd love my goalkeeper coach to actually have a plan in place when we are discussing it about how it's going to get better and how it's going to improve. Because I'm going to have an idea in my head, but I'm going to want to hear him actively looking about how that can get better. Because there's no point me him going, you messed up there. And I go, yeah, great. Like, <laughs> what, what, what are we going to do about it? Like, I want them to have that kind of active searching for helping to improve it in the same way that I would. So if you have that trusting relationship, you're both actively looking to implement steps to make it subconsciously better in future i think that's the most you can probably ask of either party really i'm with it man i think from a coach's perspective everything you just said is is something that i'm, I'm definitely taking a little bit more uh to heart in terms of the trust factor and mm. the collaboration side of things is something that i heard from andrew sparks the most is you know yeah. he stepped into uh the premier league at uh, he's like i don't know how old he is now but like 33 years old as a coach some of those guys are mm. similar in age have years of experience uh, in the Premier League. So how is a young coach going to come in there and, and tell him what to do? And I was asking him, like, what confidence led you to, you know, come into that role and, and kind of take it head on? And he was like, honestly, I got to know the guys. I sat down mm. with them. I wanted to see what made them tick. I wanted to see what they get out of sessions uh, mm. to make them better for the weekend. And he said, one guy told me that he just loves making saves, sprawling around and, you know, uh, uh, having shot-stopping sessions to get his confidence up. And another guy just wanted to do more tactical stuff and a lot more tactical mm. awareness, not beat up the body. You said, I took mm. that information and I was able to construct sessions that would help everybody. But at the same time, too, I had to draw the line of what I think is best for them. So I think that coming back to this point is when it comes to mistakes, like you said, there's no point of hiding. We all know mm. mistakes are going to happen. But yeah. if we can have a proactive approach and have a plan in place prior to that, and that comes from work off the field, whether it's watching film and you already have communication, uh, a language between, let's say you, you and I, Connor, we know that that front uh, scoop is something I want you to do, but you know you don't want to do it. You try it in training, it goes between your legs. I may, I may say, yeah. Connor, go back, go back to what you're doing. Go back to what yeah. you're doing. But like, I don't have to criticize it. I don't have to say anything negative, but you and I both know because we've watched film and had those discussions that mm. I don't have to put you on blast. I don't have to you know, make mm. you look bad at, in front of everybody else, but we have that language and that foundation, that baseline that we can revert to. So I think, yeah, again, that's, that's the importance. So, Wesley, what I would say is have that open conversation with your goalkeepers. Mm -hmm. have, that open com have, that, have that open conversation where it's like, I'm going to critique you, but not to make you feel less or belittle you. It's to obviously help you and I meet you at that, that, that next level and that goal. 
So I think that's, that's important. And I think if any coaches listening, any goalkeepers, once we get back from all these guys, just have those five to 10 minute conversations, even ask Connie, how, how you been doing, man? Everything been good? Where's your mental, once you, where's your mental state at? Tell me how you're feeling. Are you out of shape? Are you in shape? So now I have more mm -hmm. data and more understanding of, oh, he's not making a technical error because he's not good. It's because he's exhausted because he hasn't trained in three months, you know? So it's like those yeah. little pieces of information yeah. now we can all assess and we can all yeah. uh, gear our messaging towards that. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Uh, two more here. Adam underscore Modwire. He says, what's your favorite type of distribution and how important is it for goalkeepers to be as good as outfielders playing with their feet? My favorite type of distribution... <laughs> I can't really pick a favourite. I think you would always pick your club, as it were, using a golf analogy, based on the situation in front of you. So I talk a lot in my kind of content about symmetrical distribution, and that's something that I've focused on for years now. And I think it's something which kind of separates me from quite a lot of goalkeepers because I always try and make sure that I'm equally skilled with both feet in all distribution methods. So be that uh, a long pass off the ground, a driven pass off the ground, a half volley, a side volley. Um, I practice equally with both feet so that if it comes to a game, I have the whole pitch to hit instead of just one side. And I can feel confident with both sides of my body to hit either side of the pitch. And that kind of, well, it multiplies your ability by two because you're able to do the exact same on both sides. And that's something which I've been doing for three, four, five years now in terms of practice. And I still have a lot of practice to do, but I've seen a huge kind of up, uh, improvement in my game by focusing on that. Um, what was the other part of the question, apart from this, the favourite bit? Um, uh, no, it was just about your yeah, favourite favorite use of distribution and uh, kind of when, when do you know when to use it? Yeah, I think, again, like the crosses, having the, the practice behind you to make it a second nature decision or a flow state decision. So... Obviously, in training sessions, test yourself with your distribution methods. I think in all types of training, I've, I mean, I've been guilty of it. Think, um, think small-sided games when you train. A lot of the time as goalkeepers, we'll pick the ball and then we'll roll it to the centre half, two yards to the side of us. And that might be the right decision. But if the right decision is actually a longer throw or a side volley and you're just kind of scared of risking it in training then in a game, you will never have that flow state, say, Alisson, with that distribution method to Salah for the goal against Man United in the last minute. He hasn't even thought of that. He's picked it, seen it, done it, before he's even had a chance to think. And that's because in training, he'll do the exact same thing. He'll see it, he'll try. He'll see it, he'll try. It'll go wrong, it'll go right. But it's those repetitions where it turns into a flow state. So in training, test yourself with your distribution. If you see the option, Go for it. Don't be scared of the failing because then in a game, you'll back yourself a lot more to hit those distribution methods rather than just standing still for a bit, being scared and then rolling it an easy one. So I think, like you say, being backing yourself in training to test it is a great way to make sure that you're ready in a game to do it subconsciously. Agreed. And how many times, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I probably did in our spring season in college and even uh, just knocking the ball around with some friends. How many times have I hit a side volley and the ball spun in the air and went like 15 yards. Like it didn't go very far, but that was yeah. just the trial and error. And like you said, to yeah. have the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work, so, so be it. I had a time where I hit a side volley and it went straight up in the air. My center back, who was the last guy, he ended up heading the ball back to me because it was that bad. So yeah. it was, it, it's embarrassing stuff like that, that you yeah. don't get to see from Ederson. You don't get to see from Allison, all black, uh, Ter Stegen, because they've already yeah. mastered it. There's a reason why mm -hmm. they're like the top 1% in the world is because they've kind of fine-tuned and they've had all their trials and errors up until that point. So again, I love watching professionals and I love watching what they do, but understanding that they're closer to the finished product than you are. So understand that they yeah. went through a process to get to that point. And again, it goes back to your, your earlier comment about patience. So understand that patience to have that wi uh, the will to go through the process. And once that process comes to play, hopefully you've done enough where you can get to a point where you can kind of say, okay, I've learned most of what I need to learn from the technique side. Now it's all about tactical and how I use that technique in games. Yeah, completely agree. But, okay, Connor, I think we're just about done here. I want to ask you one more question, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with your channel, when all is said and done about your channel, um, let's say you have a family, you're done with keeping goals, you're done with all, you know, you and Johnny, you're done making content. Yeah. What do you want your legacy to be? 
So when people watch your content back in 20, 30 years, what is, what is, what keeps you going? What's that, that goal that you have in the back of your head for what you want to be remembered for? Um, that's a good question. I hope that people saw me as bringing value to people with what I did. So I obviously have a selfish goal that I'm driving to achieve, but in the process of doing that, I hope I have brought value to other people and I've helped them to do their own thing. And I don't know if I'll ever know it or if I'll ever hear it or ever see it, but I hope that in some way I helped other people to do what they were doing through the process of trying to achieve my own thing. Because like all individuals, you want to help others. It's not just a selfish game. And I think, especially in goalkeeping, we can all win. We can all boost each other. So if I was contributing to that in some way, then I'd be pretty pleased with the work that I've done. Well, I will say, Connor, you are one of my favorite content creators and not just content creators, but you're a good dude. I think uh, in terms of personalities, you can create content, but if you're not doing it for the right reason, you're going to be discovered and people will figure it out and you will be exposed. But from day one, like you and I know, we've had those conversations of, I just, I know what your goal is. And I know that the content that you're putting out is not going to get that uh, initial feedback of, okay, you're going to get thousands and thousands of views because it's not for flash. It's more of a conversation. It's more of a collaboration with your supporters and I think that is something that the goalkeeping community has been missing for years and years and years and when you started doing your videos I was very much like finally somebody is doing this from a goalkeeper's perspective because there needs to be a truth to the process and there needs to be a truth to telling young goalkeepers that what the work you need to put into is not going to happen overnight and your day-to-day struggles and your transparency and everything you're putting out is extremely, extremely important for young kids to understand, whoa, this is what a role model is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to look like to get to that next level. And who knows what happens with their career. I hope it lasts years and years until like Buffon until 40. But if it doesn't and you continue making content, man, I think the goalkeeping community will be just as impacted. So continue doing what you're doing. Much respect, much love, man. And hopefully um, if you're ever in the States, I remember uh, in, in your neck of the woods, we can do a session and uh, yeah, give the people what they want. <laughs> I'd love that. No, thank you. That That's amazing to hear from you because I've been a huge fan of what you're doing and I would say the exact same. So thank you for those kind words. And like I said, on my one, when we did this, you were helping me before followers, before subscribers. You were answering my DMs when I was asking you questions and I was learning from your content and I still am. And I'm really, really grateful for that. And like I say, the goalkeeping community is is grateful for what you're doing too. So I I appreciate that, mate. And definitely when when all this is done, I'll hope to be over kind of your end and we can do some stuff together because it'd be great to work with you. Absolutely. And I'll leave everybody on this is that when you, let's say, when you get to a position, like you said, you were DMing me, I was DMing somebody as well when I first started. And it's just like a a ladder and a chain you kind of have to climb. But if you don't have the the organic and the real intention that you want to help people and you want to better not just yourself, but other people in the process of making your content, then you're not going to win and no one's going to want to help you. There's more to it than, uh, than likes and, and followers, guys. And I think uh, yeah. go check out Connor's channel if you guys haven't already on YouTube. So much valuable information, so much great information. I just wish that I was 15 again, 12 again, and I was able to watch your content at that age because I know I would have been better off and probably a little bit fitter from all the the fitness (laughs) stuff from all the fitness stuff that you put out (laughs) thank you mate no that's brilliant thank you very much for having me on this as well my man okay take care of yourself we'll talk soon thank you guys for tuning in speak to you